the fundamental is that consumers still want the right product at the right place, at the right price, at the right time. And, and that's never going to change. Franchisee Connect, Episode 7. Franchisee Nation, I'm Michael Pullman, host of Franchisee Connect. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at Michael Pullman or jump on Facebook and search for Franchisee Connect. You'll find our group. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to the podcast that helps retailers delegate, automate, and ultimately liberate themselves from their business. Subscribe to get all the actions and insights at FranchiseeConnect.com. Buckle up, Franchisee Nation. You're about to go on a ride through retail. Our guest today is the CEO and founder of Retail Doctor, which is a retail consultancy based out of Sydney, Australia. Our guest has over 20 years of experience in retail senior management with leading retailers like The Athlete's Foot, Optus, Angus and Coote, Westfield, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and Woolworths, Australia's biggest supermarket. So take some notes, guys. Brian's a genuine retail consultant. So I'm here with Brian Walker. Brian Walker's the founder of The Retail Doctor. Brian, can you tell me a bit about your business? Yeah, hi, Michael. Uh, well, Retail Doctor Group was started nearly 10 years ago. I founded it, and uh, I started it after a fairly long career in retailing and franchising and even went worked for the other side, being Westfield for a few years. And um, I kind of, it was kind of interesting. I, was, I ended up between jobs and I was in this space of thinking about, you know, how consultants would typically come to a business and talk about what to do. And some of them were great at it. But I was always thinking and always grew up in the how to do it. You know, sort of this transforming strategy into implementation. And so... Um, I was actually offered a little, I suppose, a quasi-consulting gig with a retailer who said to me, oh, my sales are a bit flat and costs are high, one thing or another. And I said, well, can I have a look? And I went and had a look and came back and said, oh, look, you know, Tim was the owner at the time. Hey, Tim, why don't you just do X, Y, and Z, and here's how you do it, and here's how I can help you. And we did it. Anyway, I'm sitting back at the cafe after the project. I'm describing it to a friend. He says, ah, it's a bit like being a doctor, isn't it? Uh, a uh, retail doctor. And as it turned out, it was available. So then in terms of trade name and business name, and then I started to think about, well, aligning, if you like, business fitness, and that's the concept I was coming up with, and being physically fit, I suppose. So I created or branded it around business fitness, and it was all about improving business and so forth. I had, I think I started with $10,000 um, and literally took a space in a mate's advertising agency and worked 90 hours a week and built the business to where we are today. We've got, I mean, we're not huge. We're a team of nine. We're very customized in the work we do. Um, but we have an insights into strategy and implementation. Uh, and I love it. It's been a great business. It's, it's uh, fantastic to help retailers and it's fantastic to help businesses from those franchisees and retailers get fit for business. Fantastic. I love that, getting fit for business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've been working with a lot of retailers, um, some large corporates and some some franchises as well. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the tasks that you've helped retailers automate and delegate to, to free up a bit of their time? Well, you know, that's one of the secrets of being, uh, you know, again, this fit for business is this I, this concept of being able to but the business has its maximum sale value when it, there are many characteristics, but one driving characteristics, Michael, is the business is independent from its owner. Yes. 
So we, you know, in, in regards to your, to your question, we look very closely at and businesses ranging from, you know, GoVita as large dealer channels all the way through to NAB, through to single store franchisees and single store retailers. And in the early stages of the work, um, I do the diagnostic, which is really getting to understand the business. And I'm watching to see if the owner is there 150 hours a week, um, having trouble really setting some business plans, some really simple steps, delegating, following up, accountabilities, understanding, you know, really building this. Because the second stage is this replication of the business. Is this business replicable? Is it independent from the owner? Has it got systems, policies, processes, procedures? Has it got a good working model that I, as a buyer, can step into? So, Michael, the first step of your thinking about it being whether a business is fit or not is that every business is for sale. Ultimately, every owner, in our view, has to be taking a position that says, how do I grow the value of my investment? You That's know, the we, reason you're building up the business in the first place, isn't it? Well, it's I think so. I think it is because, you know, we, for those of us who like to buy houses in our lives, what's one thing we watch? We watch it appreciate. We watch it grow in value, hopefully. And, and we want to sell it at some stage or pass it on at a higher value than when we bought it. Well, why is business any different? It sounds like a lot of your teachings are based on the e-myth by Michael Gerber, or at least this part of it. Have you, <laughs> you've obviously read the book and, and oh, putting it into action. I, think, yeah, I have read it a few years ago. It's a great book. I think, you know, every one of our experiences in life, you know, philosophically and in real terms, prepares us for, for whatever's in front of us. So my 20-odd years of franchising and retailing um, really helps me in, in these circumstances with, with owners and retailers where I can really just draw back on the experience and then help these guys or these people put it into action. So, so you know, these, some, what I've already touched on a couple of the key steps when we work with businesses, it's, it's really to understand, you know, what's the end game? Even if it's as simple as I want to sell in three years or I want to grow my value by, you know, whatever it is. And the second point is uh, what... If we're going to work on a project or a business looking to improve its business, what's its goals? What's its objectives? What does it want to achieve? You know, you can never really, it's, you know, sometimes I see businesses and it must feel a bit like going on a holiday. You've packed the car, um, you're ready to go, you take off down the driveway, family in the back, and you don't know where you're going to drive to. That's a great analogy. Yeah, and, and it's a bit like that in this sense. So where are we taking it? And what do we want to achieve out of it? And then we're into the place of really understanding what's our unique point of difference? What are we strong at? What are we great at? We can't be all things to all people. Just what do we do? If we're a pizza maker, are we the best pizza maker in town? If we are a menswear retailer, are we the best? Are we known for something? So the old adage of, you know, stand for something or fall for everything applies. Yeah, so really focus in and niche down and find exactly what your USP is. Absolutely. I mean, these are, this is not about digital retail or omni-channel or, you know, the future of retail. This is all about the basics. Get it really nailed. Sound processes. So we've gone into businesses like, you know, who comes to mind? Total Tools. And there are many. We've probably worked with about five to 600 retailers and franchisees, franchisors over the years, both. Um, and, you know, we've done everything from 
really helping them build this point of difference to building them training manuals. So this thing around building, building business fitness, but uh, there's yeah. some of the steps. Because that's a real key part of the franchise organisation, isn't it? Building that operations manual. It's the it's the centrepiece of the, the whole franchise. Yeah, well, when we talk about that, it's, it's all about the consistency of the offer, isn't it? Yeah. It's about, you know, when you sign into a franchise, you're signing into a system. Now, you can go over and above the system and drive value, and many good and great franchisees do that. But at its but at its heartland, I think the the office manual is an interesting one. It's you're absolutely right, Michael, and I think it also marries to the the ethos or the culture of the organisation. You know, have we got a business that people sign into, want to be part of, follow the leader, really have vision, and then work their patch exceptionally to drive value for themselves. Um, so there's a whole lot of cultural aspects as well. There really is. I've worked with a lot of different franchisees in my in my work uh, over the years, and you can really see the franchises who have got good leadership. It because that leadership filters down to the corporate level and the area managers, and it also filters down to the franchisees themselves. You can get yeah. a really good sense of what the leadership is like at the franchisor level from chatting to the franchisees. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's not a lot different from corporate uh, retail stores in that sense. You know, the, the, the vision, the buy-in to the vision from, from the head team, from the CEO and from the board. Uh, you know, I sound a bit like it's um, harking back to these days, but, you know, the sort of the management by wandering around, the highly visible CEO, the, the interested asking questions, the involvement of the franchisees in their direction. Uh, these are all hallmarks of really strong, dare I say it, fit franchise channels. Yeah, absolutely. I'd really noticed that when I went to the Automotive Brands Trade Show um, yep. in May. I was on the floor there chatting to franchisees and, and Paul Dunbrell walks up and sh- starts shaking hands, the CEO of uh, yeah. of, um, of the Automotive Brands Group. So he's he was there, he was visible. Uh, yeah. yeah, he was shaking hands. And he, they even had uh, their this, this CEO of Metcash um, as a group there as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you can really you can see the leadership and it shows in their success. Yeah, and it's, it, it's absolutely critical. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, looking at businesses, there's some of the starting points. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So when, you, when you're talking to your, your retail clients, Brian, what are some tasks that you – what are some things that you find these retailers are struggling with? Uh, well, if I talk about some of, the, some, of the larger, um, some of the larger businesses, I think it's really getting their heads around, you know, this, this buzzword of omni-channel, this idea that, you know, we're, we're, we could do business with a customer – anywhere in the world 24-7. This idea that we, we have a physical store network or shops, we have an online presence, they talk to one another, we have a social media presence, and we're really in the space of connecting with, with customers. So that's the big topical thing at the moment. So Omnichannel is more than just having an online presence and a bricks and mortar presence. It's 24-7 and global as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are some great case studies out there, clients such as Lorna Jane comes to mind. Yeah. And there's, there's a business that's building a community. So, you know, it's building a community based on a cause and it's an incredibly good, successful case study lo- locally and there are many others where the retailer has really built a tribe of followers. So that's really the big thing. And um, so that means that that tribe, that community, um, get involved with the cause get on social media, Facebook and other media sites, go online, um, 
visit the store, do part of the exercise classes, all these aspects coming together. So retailing is really transforming and technology is the big disruptor around, um, you know, creating creating a 24-7 retail experience. Now, for the single store, for the single franchisee, you know, they don't have to do all those great things, but if they can build their point of difference, have a little, a good website that's functional because over 85% of bigger ticket items are, uh, are looked, sorry, pre-researched online and mobile smartphones so that the website can be shown on a smartphone, such as an iPhone, is also incredibly important because that's up in the 70%. And it's interesting, we, it places also a lot more opportunity and pressure for the physical store. Why? Because we, we share opinions online, we research online, we, we rate things online, we rate customer service online. I mean, you think about the t- number of times you're thinking you're going to a restaurant, Michael, these days. What's one of the things you'll do? Probably go online. Pull up a Yelp review straight away. Absolutely. Yeah. Go to an app, go online, check it out, get the rating, see that it's great, tell your friends, or go to it, have a great experience, and then flick it out there and tell your friends. Now, five years ago, that wasn't happening. That's right. It's, customer service is more important than ever, is giving those customers a good experience, like you mentioned with Lorna Jane. A consistently good experience. and, and Consistently good experience. Uh, spot on. And that's the thing. And so, But the physical store environment is the jewel and the crown. That's not going to go away. No, no, it's never going to go away. Far, absolutely. So when we talk, and it depends on the customer, it depends on the scale of business around the resourcing and the steps they need to take in considering this. You know, if you're a, if you're a business that, I don't know, for the sake of the discussion, trades $2 million, uh, a year, let's say, take a discussion, or even one, or um, around that number, really quite small and scale of things, you still got to have a point of difference, and you still really ideally have, you know, five to ten hours a week devoted to your online and your social media message. Yeah, absolutely. So, Brian, for a store of that size, the million to $2 million turnover mark, what numbers should those retailers be paying the most attention to? So their KPIs, what, what should they be looking at day to day? I can remember Bernie Brooks, this ex-CEO of Maya, saying, sales are the lifeblood of the business, and I think that's absolutely right. And so we look at businesses and the way they measure sales. You know, I like to go into a business and see that it's got a sales target, has a sales budget, um, has a very good understanding of its category mix or its, its product mix and understanding essentially how much each product category uh, contributes to the sales, contributes to the margin, um, and then linking that to the physical space, particularly for specialty retailing, the physical space to see that the space is apportioned in the right way, linking sales to inventory. And just on inventory, you know, I think I've learned more about this topic being the retail doctor than I ever did uh, running large retail businesses, candidly. Inventory is, is the big thing. If you're a business that has inventory, you have to link it to sales. That's number one. Have sales budgets, have buying budgets, have stock turn and sell-through budgets. So you've got a very good handle on the science of the business and you're not wasting working capital. You know, I went to, I remember, and it was brought home to me once, I went to this franchise business that was turning over $900,000 a year and it was a homewares business. And I walk in in this business and, Michael, I couldn't see for stock. Stock was everywhere. 
Wow. And, and when I said to the lady who owned it, oh, we've got a lot of stock here, she said, oh, that's only half of it. The rest is in a warehouse and a garage and so on. <laughs> oh, wow. So she had at sell value about $1.5 million worth of stock. So technically, uh, to, to make $900,000 worth of sales, it's a disaster. Now, when you looked at her business, uh, and, you know, it's a sort of contextual thing, you look at a, if you have two stores, A and B, and store A does 900,000, store B does 900,000. If the stock turn is three, to keep it simple, it's the amount of times the stock should turn over in a year, then store A has a retail value 300,000, store B at retail value has 450,000. Mm-hmm. You can see straight away that store B is overinvested by 150,000. Yes, yeah, you can immediately pick that up from the numbers. Absolutely. So the numbers are very important. And so to your question, uh, I like to understand those relationships. And and it's also about the moving parts. Some consultants come in and they say, oh, look, based on that, you're carrying too much stock. But that's a function of much of what I just touched on. And also the, the ethos of the business, the responsibilities, the accountabilities, the way they buy, the timing, the trading terms, many factors. Um, and the point I'm getting at is it's about seeing the moving parts. And, and that's the point. That one of the things I love about retail is that when you're coming to the, the diagnosis of the problem, if you like, um, you have to have training and hopefully an eye for understanding how the, looking for the moving parts. Yep. Yeah, looking at the business as a whole and saying, okay, this is, this is where the stock's going in, this is where the stock's coming out, this is who's making decisions and yep. recommending from there. Yeah, and, you, and you know, you're looking at what's my return on the space, what's my return on the stock, what's my return on the people, what's my return on my brand investment, um, and, and what should it be? What are the benchmarks? If, if I go to a business and I know it should be turning over $8,000 a square metre and it's turning over six, then we start to unwrap it all and find out what is the root cause of that. And that's the thing with the doctor analogy, Michael. Uh, I can never prescribe the, uh, the steps on how to fix something until I can understand the topic or the issues. Sounds like you're a little bit more of a naturopath than a doctor because you're looking at the whole system. <laughs> Whereas a doctor knows if it's this symptom, we treat it with this drug. If it's this symptom, we treat it with this drug. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's really interesting. And, you know, candidly, for some franchisees, you know, they spend too many hours in the business to be candid. They, they work six days, six and a half days. I speak at conferences and when I, you know, I'll often ask the audience, particularly franchise, who has a business for sale? And who gets away from the business a couple of days every three or four months with their partner or whoever it might be and actually reflects back, looks on the outside, looks back at their business and thinks about it from the perspective of the investor and what needs to occur to drive value. Yeah, so they've got to be out there recharging their batteries and looking at the business strategically as well. Yeah, absolutely. I remember years ago, and it's, yeah, you're always influenced by your mentors and your leaders and uh, I remember this guy always used to talk about, take the helicopter view, you know, always look from the outside. And when you think about retailing, retailing is very much around brand, differentiation of brand, experience, and underneath that, or customer experience, and underneath that is the machinery and the mechanics of the science of retail. Yep, yep, absolutely. So there's, uh, there's the, the soft stuff on top, but then there's all the numbers and, and the machinery underneath that you have to pay yeah. attention to. 
Yeah, you do, and and but you know that's not to turn us all into accountants, but just to have a reasonable sense of it. Yeah, definitely. So I want to wind it back a little bit now, Brian. I'm sure. Wind the clock back and just just think about your career as a whole, and just think back to a time where you've had your worst moment in business, and tell me what <laughs> did that feel like? What did it look like? And what did you learn from it? Uh, is that corporate life or is the retail doctor? That can be that can be whichever you like. Let's let's take corporate life first because they're they're always uh, always fun. That the KFC type um, example. Yeah, well, you know, I, um, I worked with Woolworths, KFC, Optus, Athletes Foot. Um, my worst. Well, we see, I'm an optimist by nature, so I think that it's tricky for me to think about my worst. It's probably it, it's probably in, oh gee, it's a great question. I know this is a really simple example, but here's one I remember. Let's do it. Uh, I can remember starting my career, and originally I was a horticulturist of all things, and I joined Woolworths, and I worked for this guy in the fresh green gardening and produce business. And he uh, was a great guy. He's, he's um, a chap named Peter Picorni, and I'm still friends with Peter. Peter was my boss, firm but fair, and I used to buy all this produce, and I can remember one day buying something like 40 or 50 pallets of apples, as it turns out, and then from Flemington Markets, being very proud of myself, and then realising a little bit later that I'd sent out all these pallets of apples to these Woolworths supermarkets, and they were what were called duds. Basically, the top, the top couple of rows of these boxes, I don't know what makes me think of this, were really good, and the rest of them were terrible, okay? So I'd been dudded, shafted, or whatever term you want to use. <laughs> Anyway, and, and so Peter just basically relegated me for about four weeks, I think, um, into quality control on the warehouse floor. <laughs> he taught you a lesson. Yeah, he did. And he, and he taught me this fundamental lesson of um, never take things for granted. Mm. You know, never take things for granted, but in all walks of life. It's funny, isn't it? It's such a simple example. I'm sure people I worked with in foreign corporate life could tell you many others, many other mistakes I'd made. But that's the one that comes to mind in the moment. That's the one that comes to mind. Oh, that's an awesome story. Never take things <laughs> for granted. You got yeah. got taught a lesson by your, your early mentors. I, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. totally. Oh, you, you learn so much from those people and they're, they're, they're seminal experiences because they, they stick in your mind forever and you can immediately bring them to bear when you when you get asked a question like that. That's why I ask right. that question on the spot. It, it's a great question. When, when I interview for people to join us or, or I've always sort of interviewed in the later years of my corporate life, I'd always ask... Um, a prospective employee or relationship of some description, what was their greatest failure? Um, because for a similar set of reasons, because if they can't recall at least one, and I've struggled tonight, um, you, you kind of get the sense that, that they haven't learned some of the lessons that are so critical in the development of a person. Yes, yeah, that's right. They haven't. Uh, they may not have taken any risks, so they might not have learnt any lessons from it. Or they might be oblivious to their own uh, limitations. Their own failing, even worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, Brian, what uh, opportunity are you most excited about for retail at the moment? Uh, well, retail. You know, this takes us to the reason why one of the reasons I love what I do. Retail is going through an incredibly uh, transformative time. You know, it it's changed so dramatically. And will, and I think we're at the tip of the iceberg. I think that the you know the way retailers operate right now uh, and the way they will operate are really, in many respects, quite different. I think technology is accelerating and the great disruptor. So it's it's ultimately um, changing the art of what it is to be a consumer 
and the science of what it is, to, and art and science of what it is to be a retailer. Uh, I think we're going to see manufacturing change dramatically with the advent of 3D printers. I think, you know, we'll see printing come in, in house. We'll see technology. We'll see robots. I mean, there's just a remarkable array of things. But underneath all that, the fundamental is that consumers still want the right product at the right place, at the right price, at the right time. And, and that's never going to change. And so um, at one level, I'm excited by the change. But interestingly, it reminds me more and more about getting the basics right. And when you look at the changes, we're spawning an industry of people who are very skilled uh, in digital, very skilled in a lot of the aspects. But they are not, by definition, retail experts. So our role, I think, is to really help retailers continue to build their businesses. And I also get really excited when we do stuff like put our events on and we're able to give money back to social causes. Um, I like that as well. That that plays an important part for me personally. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to, to give that back. Uh, what, what sort of events do you run, Brian? Oh, we have a Fit for Business um, breakfast events where we get a, a speaker like a Peter Bertels from Supergroup or Stuart from Target or whoever it is, and we're talking at this stage about putting it again on September. And what we do there is we have – it does a couple of things. Uh, it shares with the audience the, the, the learnings and the thinkings of some of our leaders – um, it enables us to put back into the industry, enables the proceeds to go to a charity. So we do that. Next week we have uh, our CEO breakfast where we get 15 or 16 CEOs together and we talk about really what's happening in this topical world of retail. Um, so they're, they're two examples of the events that we mm. put on. Fantastic. Putting together little mini masterminds. Try to, yeah. And, and we... We're pretty engaged with associations like NRA and we sponsor the Young Retailer Awards because I know when I was sort of, um, you know, in my 20s, I was taken under the wing of some really great people. And, and so I always encourage particularly you know, the, the next generation to be mentored and to have mentors to help them. Absolutely. It's important to bring up that next generation of, of retailers because you've got to teach them the basics, as you said. And franchisees and, and yeah, and all yeah. that. So that's right. Definitely. So, Brian, what's the number one piece of advice that you'd pass on to a small retailer? Um, Define, really have a clear mandate on what it is you do, what your point of difference is, and be able to express it. And do it in a way that is passionate, is correct, and then everything else will find its way. As long as there's an appetite for that point of difference, everything else can be worked out. Yep, so really get in touch with your point of difference, your differentiator in the market. I think that's the first thing I'd say. And, and it's very closely linked to the owner's passion for the business. Yep, yep that's you know, a recurring theme on this podcast is, is, is having the passion for the business. I think it is because, um, you know, the, the best trainer, the best coach, the best consultant in the world um, – won't be successful unless the owner is uh, curious to improve and passionate. Yeah, yeah, they got to be. You got to be interested in making the business better. Just continually improving the business. Yeah, and you know, it's it sits in there. It's always. It's generally always there. Um, if it was a business that was looking to open a franchise or open a retail store, 
I'd help them do their homework to really understand what they're getting into, both from their own personal lifestyle and the environment and the, and the, the franchise or they're thinking of joining. Yeah. What sort of questions would you suggest they ask? Uh, okay. Uh, well, I'd, I'd first of all have a very good understanding of the performance of the franchisor in all the different locations, high, medium, and low. I'd want to understand the, uh, here's that word again, the, the leadership and, and passion and reinvention of the business over the years. I want to understand the franchisor's um, marketing strategy and plan. I want to understand the involvement of the franchisees. Uh, I'd certainly want to understand uh, the franchise, franchisor's marketing and advertising campaigns and their support, their visitation and support. Yeah, absolutely. So there's some key questions to ask there. Yep, and I and I finally want to know over the last year or two, I want to see the growth in the franchise channel, but down to the individual franchisees in percentage. Because if a franchisor is reflecting 15% growth, that's brilliant, but it might be in 20%, exceeding by 30% and 80% um, flat and below. Ah, so you want to look at what percentage of the franchisees are growing their sales? Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. And I want to get a sense of is the business and the, fran- and the franchisees attracting more customers? Customer counts are an underrated KPI of retail, but I look at them religiously. And I look at them uh, because I want to understand customers and I want to understand that link to wage spend, understand uh, link to, to tasks in the business, for a number of reasons. Are we growing our customers? Are they spending more? Um, are two key KPIs for the business. Absolutely. I could geek out on retail stats with you for hours. I love looking at <laughs> customer to staff ratio and uh, uh, conversion rates. I'm and sounding like an accountant football. tonight, you, but, you, but yeah. No, it's it's so important. We we look at a lot of different KPIs uh, in the business. So I geeked out with um, a couple of guys from the automotive brands, corporate stores, all about uh, their hourly footfall traffic versus their sales versus their wage spend. It's fascinating. And, and, and the correlation is always there and – also, if the data is there and it's a really smart system, I'd like to get a sense of, you know, are we actually attracting incremental new customers or are we regurgitating, for want of a better term, existing customers? Mm, mm, that's always an interesting stat, the percentage yeah. of new customers. Yeah, and every time we start a project, the, one of the first things I want to understand is what does success of the project look like? Give me something to, to aim for. Give me a target. Yeah. You know, a, a project is not uh, a project until you've got good milestones and good outcomes to achieve. Yep. So any any new projects the franchisees are thinking of putting in. So I had an example where Sam Holmes from Autobahn Elizabeth put in a, a mechanical shop on alongside yep. his business, and he uh, he found out that that didn't work. So your piece of advice there would be to make sure that you have a clear definition of success before yep. you undertake that project. Absolutely. And if I think about my early days as a self-appointed, self-made consultant, the very first few projects, I look back now and think, mm, we didn't really have an idea of what the summit looked like, yeah. you know, of what, yeah, of what the summit looked like. In other words, what the end game was. Um, but I've adjusted that for many years since. You know, it's been... Mm. 
you always look back at those first couple of projects and think, oh my God, how did I get paid for that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, hopefully not quite that, but yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And, and over the years too, Michael, you know, we've, we've built up a, a research division and we've built up a, uh, we have a, I'm an alliance member of a worldwide alliance of retail experts. So when we work on cases, particularly on, depending on the size of them, we'll go offshore and look at best practice. Who's doing a great job in this category? Mm. Who's really killing it? And what you can learn from them. And, and what do we learn from it? And you know, in turn, we share ours with them. And yeah, because that's the point about a lot of retailing. Sometimes it's very, very easy just to get caught up in the day-to-day. You know, shutter goes up, we work in our business, and we leave our business. And, and sometimes there's stuff going on underneath the surface that we can't see or feel sometimes until it's at a difficult stage. Yeah, yeah, we've got to get out and get some perspective on it. Yeah, and so even today we're working on a piece for a, a leading motorbike retail company and we're looking at examples of showrooms and, and visual merchandising around the world that is mind-blowing compared to what we see here. Oh, awesome. It must be so much fun. It is great. Yeah, I love it. I yeah. love it. Fantastic. So, uh, Brian, if our, any of our audience members want to reach out to you and, and get some advice or if they want to engage you as a consultant, how can they reach you? Oh, well, Michael, that's kind. They can reach me through um, the office in Sydney, 02 or the website, which is retaildoctor.com.au. And Retail Doctor on Twitter. Retail Doctor on Twitter or Brian at retaildoctor.com.au, which I think I just said. So, yeah. And look, if they're listeners of yours, Michael, I'm happy to give a complimentary 20-minute initial conversation on the phone. Oh, fantastic. Which will be be confidential. I know Franchisee Nation loves free gifts, so they can just reach out to (laughs) me and and mention Franchisee Nation. And uh, there you go. There's a 20-minute free consultation with Brian. So don't hesitate if you're listening to, to reach out. Yeah, only too happy. Ah, fantastic. Look, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Brian. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation, uh, Michael, and I hope your listeners have benefited, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Franchise Connect podcast today. If you've got a suggestion for a guest who we should have on the show, that's somebody from retail who you admire and who could drop some knowledge bombs on you, let me know at franchiseconnect.com. Just visit the contact page to get in touch. Also, let me know if there's anything anything special you'd like me to ask the guests too. Remember to visit franchiseconnect.com for links to everything we chatted about today, as well as the action steps from every one of our podcast episodes that you can take right now to delegate, automate, and ultimately liberate yourselves from the business. Make coming to work a choice with franchiseconnect.com. <laughs>